Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Ever snore so loud it registered as an earthquake or you woke up with a throat as dry as the Sahara Desert and a headache that could stop a locomotive? Well, I've had all of these because I have sleep apnea. Hi, I'm Scott Mitchell. Yep, I wear a machine plugged into a wall attached to a hose every night. Sound Sleep Medical changed all of this for me, and they can do that for you. They specialize in providing oral appliance therapy for individuals suffering from sleep disorders. In many cases, oral appliances have proven to be as effective as CPAP machines in treating sleep apnea. The lack of sleep is a serious health risk and has been linked to heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and even depression. The oral appliance I got from Sound Sleep Medical has freed me from a hose. I can go anywhere, and I've never slept better. Call Sound Sleep Medical today. Seriously, for a limited time, the first 25 people that call get a free consultation worth 200 bucks. Call 801-783-5451. It's 801-783-5451. Hello, I'm Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. And this is Dinner Table Politics. Yes, it is. Did you like that? This is Dinner Table Politics. It was a new and exciting way to introduce the show. All right. Let's just get on with it. (laughs) Let's just get on with it. All right. Well, I have a few scores to settle with this particular show. Settle them. Well, it's going to be it's going to be a cathartic process because what's going on. Do I need to be here? Can I go? No, no, you need to help me with my catharsis. Okay. Are you excited? Are you going to pay me? Like, Well, I might. Free therapy isn't really well, I understand something that. I'm interested in doing. So right now, President Trump has gone out to the Rose Garden and said that I am not going to work on an infrastructure bill with the Democrats until they stop investigating me. He said you can either have infrastructure or investigations, which is alliterative, which is, I thought, kind of beyond Donald Trump's literary abilities. Okay, no los dos. Por qué no los dos? Why not both? Yeah, from the taco commercials. I haven't seen those taco commercials. Oh, okay. What are the taco commercials? Uh, uh, just a little girl at the very end is like, why can't we have both or something? Por qué no los both? No los both. No los both. both. Okay, uh, never uh, Anyway, well, so we can get into that, but I want to get into what the infrastructure bill is and why I think, and this is something nobody's talking about, But I think this infrastructure bill represents the complete and total collapse of any principle that defines either political party. Oh. Are you excited? Oh, that stresses me out. Okay. Well, okay, so I want to take you back. This is the score I have to settle. Let's go back. The reason your grandfather is not a senator 
Well, he's he passed away, yeah. so I guess that's one reason. Oh, yikes. But the reason your grandfather lost his final election was because of the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP. Okay. When he was voted down on the floor of the state convention, the delegates started chanting TARP, 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 cheering the fact that they had gotten rid of Bob Bennett because he had voted for the Troubled Asset Relief Program. And we've talked about the Troubled Asset Relief Program on this show, have we not? Um, Are you familiar with the Troubled Asset Relief Program, TARP? Give me a refresher. The refresher is that the entire worldwide financial system was, was on the brink of completely collapsing, like a car driving without oil. This was like in... What year was this? This was 2008. Okay, yeah. This have you seen you've seen The Big Short. Yeah, 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 yeah. Great right? movie, great movie. Great movie which helps to explain what was happening. Essentially, there were all these garbage assets out there because people were starting to give loans to people that were not being paid back, but they were all bundled into these securities and assets. Yeah. And the securities and assets because nobody knew how much they were worth or if they were worth anything. They all started to collapse. And so banks stopped lending money to each other. Uh-huh. And the whole financial system was about to freeze up and completely collapse. And the only way to stop it was to inject massive amounts of capital into the system. And the only institution that had that capital was the United States Federal Treasury. Okay. And so my father was instrumental in creating TARP, which is one of the reasons the delegates were so mad at him. And essentially, it was his responsibility. They authorized $700 billion to be pumped into world financial markets. That's so many dollars. That's a lot of dollars. They only ended up spending $431 billion. Oh, okay, yeah. But what they would do Thrift, is... Thrifty of them. Because So what was happening is banks were saying, well, we don't know how much this asset is worth because it has all these bad mortgages in it. And the federal government said, well, here's, you know... A billion dollars. So you're you're still Don't spend it all in one place. Well, con- continue to loan money to other banks. Continue to do business. Continue to keep your doors open. Now, what people don't realize is that TARP was a loan. It was not a gift, and all of the money has been repaid with interest. The United States. It did not add to the deficit. It did not add to the debt. The United States came out ahead on TARP. All of that money oh. was eventually repaid. How? By who? By the banks that were forced to take the money oh. in the first place. Thanks, banks. Thanks, banks. Not usually something. The banks usually are the bad guys. Right. So this was described. Except in Mary Poppins. What, the bankers? No, the they, ba- They're totally the, bad guys. No, no, the Mary banks. Poppins. Like Jane and Michael Banks. Oh. But Jane, ah! <laughs> but Jane and Michael Banks work. Or, oh, or, but the bankers are the bad guys the in that movie. The bankers are the bad oh, guys man, in that, that movie. That joke had layers. So many layers. So I'll give you all that as background because the way TARP was described at the time was as a bank bailout. It was being described as money being dumped into the economy and just being thrown to the four winds, that we were never going to get it back. Mm -hmm. And it was also being talked about as a stimulus program. Mm -hmm. And in fact... Jason Chaffetz, who was a congressman at the time, said, yes, Bob from Bennett Utah? from Utah. He said, uh, Bob Bennett voted for the stimulus program. And we got very angry in the Bennett campaign and sent off a fiery email saying Bob Bennett did not vote for the stimulus program because 
the stimulus program, there was a separate stimulus program. And that one wasn't a loan. That one was just like, here's money. That was $800 billion saying, here's money. Let's build the country's infrastructure, but let's just dump a lot of money into an economy in recession and hope that that creates jobs and brings unemployment down. Joe Biden, the vice president at the time, said this will keep unemployment below 8%. In fact, unemployment soared to 11%, and it didn't work. It didn't do anything. Right. But in the minds of the public, and indeed in the minds of the Republican delegates who voted against Senator Bob Bennett, the stimulus program and TARP were essentially the same thing. That they did exactly the same thing. And Bob Bennett created and managed and pushed TARP out in a way that saved the global economy and didn't cost the United States taxpayer a dime. Dang, thanks, Grandpa. Thanks, Grandpa. And he vigorously opposed the stimulus program. Mm-hmm. But he got no credit for that. But then why, would, why was everyone mad at him for TARP then? Because they didn't understand the difference between TARP and the stimulus program. They thought they were the same thing. They thought it was just the government dumping money into the economy and just trying to goose the economy to the point where people weren't going to lose their jobs. Why didn't somebody tell them? Well, we tried. But one of my father's favorite maxims on the campaign trail was, when you are explaining, you are losing. And that's absolutely true. That's depressing. It is depressing. And my father spent his entire final campaign explaining his TARP vote. Orrin Hatch, the other senator at the time, apologized for his TARP vote because he wanted to save his skin and he just essentially said, oh, well, I'm very, very sorry, even though he knew exactly what TARP was and knew he didn't need to apologize for it. But in order to be able to save his seat, he apologized for his TARP vote. Mm -hmm. We told Dad, maybe you should apologize for your TARP vote. And he said it was the right thing to do. I'm not going to do that. We told him, well, then that means you're probably going to get booted out and he says well so be it yeah and i have never been prouder of my father than that final campaign because he made a decision to say this is who i am this is what i believe and if the voters don't like it they can vote me out but i'm not going to change who i am and what i believe yeah and so this was a good thing all right so all that is a precursor to where we are now in 2016 I'm sorry. It's 2019, isn't it? Yikes. I'm thinking 2016 because of the presidential election. But in during the presidential election, uh, Donald Trump said that he wanted to create an infrastructure bill. In other words, he wanted the federal government to pour out a whole bunch of money to build the country's infrastructure. What? Like, when I think infrastructure, I think, like, roads. Right. What else what else entails infrastructure? Roads, bridges, buildings. What what in the country needs like do we have a bad infrastructure like Well, I know it needs to be maintained and stuff, but like what what would this bill even Well, let's talk about that when we get back from our break. Okay. Well, one of the problems is that we keep talking about the infrastructure bill. There is no bill yet that exists. It's all Hypothetical. It's all hypothetical. Everybody's talking about this. But everybody is saying that this should be a $1 to $2 trillion Sheesh. bill. That's a lot. Obama's infrastructure bill, which is what it was. I mean, it was a stimulus bill. It was designed to be able to keep unemployment low. But it was an infrastructure bill. They kept talking about shovel-ready projects. They were going to go out and find projects that were shovel-ready so that they could 
dump money into it so people could build roads, so people could do all these kinds of things. The other way the money could be spent also is on public lands, national parks, um, maintenance of public lands. The federal government owns two-thirds of the state of Utah, and that's a pretty high-maintenance bill. Mm-hmm. And so the idea is, okay, we're going to just do all these upgrades to the entire federal infrastructure. And Republicans at the time, including my father, were up in arms saying this is a complete and total waste of money. It's not going to do what we say, we say it's going to do. And we ought to address infrastructure one project at a time, not in some kind of sweeping way just to be able to spend money. Okay. Well, okay, so here we are in 2019. Here we are. And Donald Trump... And the Democrats are both saying, let's spend $2 trillion. Let's add 10% to the entire national debt. Not just the deficit. You understand the difference between the deficit and the debt, do you not? Because a lot of people don't. A lot of people, they think that when we've lowered the deficit, that we've lowered the debt. So the deficit is the year-in, year-out shortage, shortfall, of the amount of money the federal government spends versus the amount of money it takes in. Okay. The debt is the entire debt that's been accumulated by all of those shortfalls. Okay. So even if you reduce the deficit, unless you eliminate the deficit, you always add to the debt. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we are going to add to our federal debt by $2 trillion for this sweeping infrastructure bill. And how many Republicans have come out and said the same kinds of things they said about Barack Obama in 2008? None. Zero. Zero. Ooh. And here we have a president of the United States saying, oh, well, yeah, we need to you know, spend money on roads and bridges. And in 2008, Barack Obama made the case for spending that much money on the basis of, well, we need it in order to be able to get the economy moving again. Literally it, moving. Literally moving. No, the economy doesn't literally No, move. like like you can't move if there's no like you can't drive if there's no road. Oh, that's very Keep clever. Keep up. My gosh. Well, I thought you were using the word literally the way Joe Biden uses it. No. Joe Biden uses it. I remember in the in the 2012 um, Democratic National Convention, he ended his speech by saying, "The world is literally, not figuratively, but literally in your hands." I think he was talking about, like, you know, in Men in Black, when they have to get those marbles, and then the marbles are, like, tiny universes, and then it zooms out, and then our world is, like, in a marble that aliens are playing with. Maybe he had those marbles in his hands. You think so? Yeah, that's the most likely explanation, I would say. All right. I, that strikes me as implausible, but I do think well, Joe you're Biden... you're entitled to your wrong opinion. <laughs> But I do think Joe Biden would make a pretty good Men in Black, wouldn't he? Man in Black. Yeah. He'd look kind of cool with. He kind of looks like Will Smith's partner. What's his name? Oh, the old um, guy. Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Sure. There's a Men in Black spinoff coming out with yeah, Chris Hemsworth with, and um, and Zoe Kravitz. Oh, Zoe Kravitz. That'll be interesting. Yeah, I, it'll be good. I wonder if that's going to work. But so anyway, so Here literally is a word that Joe Biden. Black. Sorry. That's all right. Do we have to pay royalties for you singing that? Oh shoot. Anyway. The point is that Joe Biden uses that word and doesn't seem to understand what it means. Maybe he's learned since then. Uh, he absolutely has not. Anyway, oh, okay. he, he continues to use it. Uh, you know, if that's the worst problem we have, that the president of the United States or the person running to be president of the United States doesn't understand that literal means it's actually happening, I suppose we could just do a lot worse. But 
it doesn't really matter because this is all academic at this point because it doesn't look like there's going to be an infrastructure bill. And why is that? Because Donald Trump's like holding our roads and bridges hostage until people stop investigating him. Ooh, that's an interesting way to put it. Ooh. I, I, I think. What did the bridges ever do to you, Donald? Well. Bridges are so nice to look at, usually. Bridges are never nice to look at. What? Well, I mean, yeah, the Golden Gate Bridge and a few big, those kinds of bridges. I love, like, going over bridges is always way fun. Uh, you got to find the little things in life. Well, there are the little bridges. You know, as you drive around the spaghetti bowl, do you look at those bridges and go, now these are beautiful in downtown Salt Lake? That's not, those aren't really bridges. That's a freeway. That, well, those are the kinds of things. I'm that, thinking of, like, bridges over troubled water, like in the Simon and Garfunkel song. Yes. Are you going to start singing that, too? No. Okay. That's a lovely song. Yeah. But I don't know. Anyways. Uh, anyways. So... Yeah, this is all academic because Donald Trump has decided that unless Congress stops investigating him, he's not going to work with him. What he doesn't seem to understand is that he has a constitutional responsibility to work with the legislative branch. And the legislative branch has a constitutional responsibility. What, where in the Constitution does it say that? Where in the Constitution? Yeah. Legislative where does it say you can't not, like, that doesn't, how, that doesn't make sense. Uh, well, it says that it's the... Respo- Neither of you can throw temper tantrums. That's against the Constitution. Yeah, I guess it's a little strong to say the Constitution forbids it, but the Constitution strongly implies, as it talks about the executive branch faithfully executing the laws of the United States, it presupposes that there's going to be communication with the people who make those laws, and there's going to be collaboration with the people who make those laws. Yeah. And Donald Trump has decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And all of his... What? What is he... Like, is he just going to veto a plan? Is that... Like, how... What do you mean he's not going to work with them? Because he's not on the floor of, like, the Senate and stuff, like... Right. Writing the law. Like, the, right. writing the bills. So what is... What's what's his role besides just vetoing stuff? Well, that's a very good question. And constitutionally, he doesn't have one. You're absolutely Right. The only place where the executive branch has a representation in the in legislature, the military, no, oh, is a... is in the Senate. The vice president is the president oh, of the Senate. Oh, sure, sure, sure. So, although the vice president is never there in the Senate, we talked about that before. I don't think so. So, where is he? I don't know. Always he, in the bathroom. Always in the bathroom. <laughs> there is an office for the vice president in the Senate office buildings, but I don't think he ever uses it. The reason why he's there, essentially, is to break a tie because right. the Senate is an even number. It's right. 100 senators. And so the vice president breaks the tie. That's why we can't ever add, like, Puerto Rico as a state. Why? Because then it would mess up, like, we'd have to add a whole new star to the flag. That would be a disaster. Right, but it wouldn't break and up then, the even number of senators because you'd have two senators from Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah, I guess. So, I was thinking more of the aesthetics of the flag. That's true. I've always wondered... What the flag must have been like during those times when we had weird, odd numbers. 50 is a nice, clean, even number. Yeah, it is nice. And then we'd have to change the 50 Nifty United States song, too. 51 Nifty One United (laughs) States. 51 Nifty One. Yeah. You know, I learned that song when I was a little kid, when I was in the Los Angeles Children's Chorus, except they didn't want to go through all the states, so we cut from Indiana to Utah. What? Idaho, Illinois, Indiana, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, Washington. 
And I remember when you guys came home from school singing Fifty Nifty and you started singing about New Jersey and all these other kinds yeah. of things that were in there. I was like, where did these where did these other states come from? That's messed up I, that they would do that. <laughs> they just didn't want to go through the anyway, entire number. Sorry, why is the vice president never in the Senate? Well, the vice president is never in the Senate because he has apparently other things to do with the president. But But in his absence, the president pro tem, which is the most senior member of the Senate, presides over the Senate. Isn't that Orrin Hatch? Orrin Hatch is out of the Senate now. Oh. Mitt Romney's in the Senate now. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. But it was. It Jeez, was Orrin that's Hatch. That's embarrassing. It was, though. It was. I'm, I'm not sure who it is now. I think it might be Patrick Some Leahy. Some old guy. I think it's Patrick Leahy, who's an old guy. Although he is in the Dark Knight movie. He, oh. Yeah, the Joker then, threatens him. All right. All, all sins are forgiven. Then. All sins are forgiven. So uh, the president pro tem is supposed to preside over the Senate, but apparently he has better things to do. So what they end up doing is... The presiding officer in the Senate is a random senator from the majority party who just sits in the president's chair. And when you go and you listen to Senate speeches, you actually go into Washington, D.C., and you watch the floor of the Senate. People, when I would take them on tours when I was an intern for Senator Al Simpson, they get very disappointed when they'd see that like nobody's there. Nobody's there. Nothing's yeah. happening. Although there are two people on the floor of the Senate. There's the one person giving a speech. Yeah. And then there's the person sitting in the president's chair. And they would always give an award at the end of every Congress that they would respectfully call the Iron Butt Award. Whoever sat in the chair the most. Whoever sat in the chair the most. And at one point... Oh, that was the original Game of Thrones. Yes. Wow. Yes. Wow, it all makes sense. That's the only Game of Thrones reference we're going to make, though, because we haven't watched the Game of Thrones. I have. You have? Yeah. I have heard that it was the most disappointing finale since... Battlestar Galactica, which I didn't I've watch, heard it was worse was, than the Lost finale. So, but... The, did you watch Lost? I did not. Oh, okay. Did you? No, but I read about how disappointing the finale was. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I'm just trying to tell you, I'm trying to show you your legacy. Your grandfather was the winner of the Iron Butt Award. Yahoo! At one point because he was a junior senator when the Republicans took over the was majority. It a, was it a trophy of a literal butt? It was kind of a, I don't know. They, they call well, then it, I don't want it. <laughs> I wonder what's happened to it. We'll have to comb through his stuff to see if we can find it. Maybe we can do that during our break and we can come back and report. Okay. All right, no luck finding the Iron Butt Award. They should, in the future, they should like take a cast molding of a person's butt. And then put it on a trophy stand. That would be cool. You know, then I think people would actually fight for it. And that would create, like, infrastructure job, like jobs for, like... What, tr- trophy makers? W- yeah, welders and stuff. <laughs> Metal you, know, you don't need people, a welder to create a Blacksmiths. How do you think trophies are made? Well, They're, I guess you could 3D print one now, but I was talking about, like, the actual, like, getting a mold of someone's butt and then making it out of iron. All right. Okay, let's keep going. Let's keep going. So there is precedent here. Um, It is not unusual for Congress to be dominated by a party that is antagonistic to the executive branch. Sure. And for Congress to engage in endless investigations of the executive branch. Case in point, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was investigated up, down, and sideways. And he was investigated under a legal system that was even more intrusive than the Mueller report was. Because Uh because the Mueller report, uh, 
Mueller worked for the executive branch. He worked for the Department of Justice. Oh, did you see? This is this is totally an aside. But Rex Tillerson, you know, was he oh, a former, yeah. former, former Secretary of State? Yeah. Today, uh, Donald Trump called him dumb as a rock. So. Oh. On Twitter. Anyways. Well, Rex Tillerson has had stronger words for Donald Trump. Interesting stuff. To begin with F. So, um... An idiot. He's a blanking idiot. So... Funny idiot. Funny idiot. So, when the Democrats were investigating Nixon, they had a prosecutor, Archibald Cox, who worked for... Archie Cox on the case. I don't know if he went by Archie. Well, I like to imagine he did. All right. So Archie was on the case, and he was getting close to the president, he, to getting the president, getting the goods on him. And so on what they called the Saturday Night Massacre, Archie Ooh. Cox was fired. That uh, doesn't seem... Uh, pres- doesn't, well, it was, well, I think that, almost more than anything else, was the catalyst that ultimately led to President Nixon resigning. I don't know. I feel like Watergate was pretty bad. Well, Watergate was pretty bad, but throughout the entire investigation, if Nixon had cooperated, if Nixon had had just come forward, because what Nixon got in trouble for was the cover-up, was after the fact, was yeah. lying about it. He didn't, he didn't get kicked out of office because of the burglary. He got kicked out of office because he was using the apparatus of government to impede the investigation. Have you, ever, have you ever wondered Obstruction if, of justice. if Watergate hadn't happened, what would we call? Because whenever like scandals happen, we always call them something gate. gate you right. know, what would we call them if Watergate hadn't happened? I don't know. So thanks, Richard Nixon. Thanks for that. I've been to the Watergate Hotel. It's a beautiful hotel. Except you, for all the peepholes in the doors and stuff. That was a little weird. There are peepholes in the I doors? I was making a joke oh. about spying. Spying. There and you all go. the... Yeah. All the microphones in the shower. That was bizarre. Right. Other than that, we had a lovely time. That's true. Well, the person who was supposed to fire Archibald Cox refused to do it. And so he resigned. And so his deputy ended up having to fire him. The deputy was Robert Bork, who was eventually nominated oh, to the Supreme Court. Oh, yeah. And that came up that he was the one who had instituted the Saturday Night Massacre. And so that was one more reason why the Democrats voted against him. But anyway, after that, they decided this should not be a partisan thing. And so those who are investigating the president should be free from working from the Justice Department. So they passed the Independent Counsel Statute, which authorized an independent counsel who did not report to the Justice Department and could not be fired. And when there's no gate attached to this, but when President Clinton was first in office... The scandal attached to him was the Whitewater scandal. Some people called it Whitewater Gate, but <laughs> it didn't quite work. Whitewater was a development in Arkansas, and it had to do with financial improprieties that most people... Arkansas, Arkansas, as the intellectuals call it. Correct. But most people didn't understand it. It didn't make a lot of sense to them. But there was an independent counsel appointed to it, and that guy ended up... They ended up trading independent counsels midway through, but the guy who followed through with the investigation was Ken Starr. And when the Monica Lewinsky of, scandal was broken, a lot of dudes' names. A lot of dudes. Well, Monica Lewinsky's not a dude. No. And when that info came out, Ken Starr got authorization to expand his investigation to include Monica Lewinsky. I think if <laughs> I feel Bill Clinton, so bad for her. Oh, yeah, she I, really I, got just torn to shreds. I agree with that. I agree with that. 
Even but, today, like her name's just like the butt of any joke. You know what's interesting about her? She's actually quite an accomplished writer. No, yeah. Have you seen? I think I've talked about this before. She was on a John Oliver episode about like public shaming. Oh yeah. And she's like had TED talk. She's like done TED talks and stuff. I think she's about, very bright. Yeah, and she yeah, and she talked about how like she that was like the darkest time of her entire life. Like, well, of course it was. Yeah, and I I, I know I feel horrible like for her. Well, I read a big article she wrote in Vanity Fair about her experience, and I thought this is surprisingly well written. No, she, she's super she's smart. She's got a master's degree in economics. She but she's apparently had a very difficult time finding Yeah, no one wants to no one wants to hire Who wants her. to hire Monica Lewinsky? Yeah. The scandal attached to that, which is, you know, anyway. That's that's a whole other side note. But the abuse of that entire experience uh, allowed the special counsel special counsel statute independent counsel statute to expire. Okay. And so we reverted back to the way oh, we did so it Oh, so now Watergate. we're... Oh, okay. Dang it, guys. We didn't learn anything from that. Well, let's see if we learned anything about that when we come back from our break. All right. So the Clinton administration was not just investigated by Ken Starr. Whitewater was also investigated by Congress. There were hearings. Wonder Woman's husband got in trouble. Linda Carter's husband was the Treasury Secretary at the time. Oh. And he got hauled before. And I didn't realize at the time that he was uh, married to Wonder Woman. I thought, wow, that's really cool. Good for him. Good for him. Anyway, so there were all kinds of congressional investigations. And if Bill Clinton had thrown the kind of temper tantrum that Donald Trump is throwing today, he would not have been able to... um, get away with it, even with members of his own party. Yeah. The idea that he stand up, well, I'm just not going to work with Congress at all until they stop investigating me. He would have been dragged over the coals. Yeah. Now, we've reached a point where we expect dysfunction from Donald Trump. We expect him to defy norms, and that's one of the reasons why he's beloved by his base. This is a guy who doesn't care about the rules. But the reality is... That unless you work with Congress, you either don't get anything done, um, or, or or you find extra constitutional ways to do that. And this, again, is a sign that Republicans and Democrats don't believe in anything. Because when Barack Obama got frustrated with Congress, he started to rely on executive orders. Yeah. And the Republicans were furious about the executive orders. And this is terrible, and this is against the Constitution. And Donald Trump, on the campaign trail, was the first in line to talk about how terrible executive orders were. Well, Donald Trump has issued just as many executive orders in his first term. That's so weird for him to go back on something he promised in the campaign trail. That's bizarre. Isn't that bizarre that Donald Trump was inconsistent? And Donald Trump has declared a state of emergency. Oh, I didn't... Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, he's declared a state of emergency on the southern border and is authorized. Oh, on the southern, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's authorized $5.7 billion to build the wall. Except the, the irony of that is that the report has come back less than a mile of wall has actually been built. And Sarah Huckabee Sanders was confronted about that. And she says, no, 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 that's inaccurate. We're building 500 miles of wall. It's like, well, okay, you are building, I guess, but you haven't built. 
And that reminds me of on The Office when they do a fun run for rabies awareness. Yeah. Pam goes into Michael's office and she's like, Michael, you know that a 5K is five kilometers, not 5,000 miles. And and what does Michael say? Because was he planning well, on running 5,000 well, miles? Well, no, and, but then it's he was in the middle of getting changed and then Pam walks in on him. And it's oh, a whole other... So that, so that doesn't... That part doesn't really get, get resolved. We don't really know. We don't know if he ever realized yeah. that it's not 5,000 miles. That's a miles. great episode. That is a great episode. There aren't very many bad episodes of The Office. After Michael leaves, there's a couple. Yeah, after Michael leaves, it's not nearly as good. We should change this into an uh, an Office podcast. You think? Yeah. Except for there's nothing else to talk about because The Office oh, is I could, done. Oh, I could, we could just go through every single episode and just talk about it. Well, that might be fun. So I'm getting tired of talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> well, Donald Trump's not as funny as The Office. He would be funny. Unintentionally, sometimes. Well, I used to think he was hysterically funny during the presidential campaign. I used to watch all the debates just to see what nonsense would come out right, of his Right, and we would all laugh, and now it's not funny anymore. It's not because... funny because he actually won. <laughs> he actually has the power of the state behind him as he tries to do his goofy and ridiculous things. So I don't know where this is going to lead. My guess is it's probably not going to lead anywhere. Because Donald Trump, when was the last time Donald Trump really took a stand and just stood with it and was tough about it? And yes, he stood up for what he believed in. Mm, his divorces, maybe. His divorces. Yeah, he, he stood up for the right to get, divorced. to get divorced and cheat on his wife and all that kind of thing. Yeah, but when it comes to politics. So the whole, the whole moral of the story is it just exposed the hypocrisy on both sides. Yeah. Cool. And saying that partisans are hypocrites is a lot like saying water is wet. I mean, it's, it's, it's not news. But when I was a Republican, I was a Republican because I believed in a certain set of principles. There were things I believed in that I thought the Republican Party was going to do. And one of the things I believed in was free trade. And the Republican Party hates free trade now. And nobody seems to care. Another thing that I believed in was that it was inappropriate to for government to spend on pork barrel projects, on these big infrastructure bills that just spend money. Yeah. And now that's what the Republican Party stands for. Yeah. And nobody seems to care. Nobody seems... And the, the goal, it, it's a horse race. It's my team is winning. It's the guy in my jersey that is scoring the most points. And that's all that matters. It doesn't matter what he's actually doing as long as he's winning. And that's a really frustrating Ugh. aspect of American politics. <laughs> I always end these so depressed. I, I, I don't mean to depress you, but you are the rising generation. You are the one who gets to fix this. We leave you this huge, huge mess that you have to it. clean up. I don't want it. Well, it, whether you're cleaning up the mess or not, I, if you're listening to this podcast on the radio, please be sure to subscribe. You can get a, an email notification every time there's a new episode. Ooh. That's exciting. So go to iTunes or go to the KSL Podcast Center. In the meantime, we will see you next week. This is Jim Bennett. I'm Abby Bennett. Until next time on Dinner Table Politics. Goodbye.